As we continue to move through Paul's letter to the Romans, we come to the latter part of chapter 10 today, which you can find printed on an insert in your bulletin, or if you have your ESV Bibles with you, we'll want to use this as a unison reading together, beginning to read at verse 14, Romans 10, verse 14. Let us read the Word of God together. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news! But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Now the story that you're about to hear is told as the truth. I can't prove that it's true, but it was told as the truth about President Franklin Roosevelt, who often endured long receiving lines at the very many public functions that he had to attend as president, because remember, because of the war, he was actually president for about 13 years instead of the eight you would have guessed. And as a participant in so many of these public functions, he complained that no one really paid attention to anything that was said at these various affairs. And so one day during a reception, he decided to try an experiment. To each person who came down the line and to shake his hand, he murmured, I murdered my grandmother this morning. And confirming his theory, the guests responded with phrases like, Marvelous, Mr. President. Keep up the good work, Mr. President. We're proud of you, Mr. President. It was not until the end of the line while greeting the ambassador from Bolivia that his words were actually heard. And seemingly unaffected, the ambassador leaned over and whispered, well, I'm sure she had it coming. (laughs) You may be aware of the fact that researchers tell us as Americans that we don't do a very good job of listening. And Paul is making the same point about Israel in this text before us. In fact, this whole concept of hearing 
is so important in what's being said in this passage. And the reason we know that is because in these brief eight verses, we see the word hear, hearing, or heard six times. And as we've talked about before, when we're looking at a passage of Scripture, if we see the same topic come up over and over again, we know that that's a very important subject for the writer, and such is the case in Romans 10 today. And what is the subject of hearing? What is the subject of being heard? In other words, about whom do people need to hear? We see the answer in the first verse of our text, verse 14, when Paul says, How are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And of course, he's talking about Jesus Christ. And he's talking about the gift of salvation. Remember, the the verse 13, right before our passage, is where he's quoted the prophet Joel, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so he's talking about salvation and how this gift comes. And as he does so, it's in reverse order. In the text, at least, as we think about what he's actually saying, we know that God sends someone, first of all, to proclaim the good news. Then the good news is proclaimed. Next, people hear that good news of Jesus. Then they believe it, and as they believe it, they call on the name of the Lord Jesus for the salvation they so desperately need. Now, as we go through this passage today, we need to keep in mind Paul's overall argument and where we've been in the last week or so. Uh, Near the end of chapter 9, Paul told us that the Jews who tried to earn righteousness by keeping the law of Moses failed to achieve it. In other words, they were trying to earn righteousness on their own by works of the law. And Paul says that way always fails. Whereas the Gentiles who reached out for God's righteousness by faith, they received that righteousness. But remember, as we saw last week, this fact did not keep Paul from praying for his fellow Israelites. A great desire of his was for the Jews to realize salvation even though he knew they were trying to earn that salvation. And salvation's a gift. It it can't be earned. It can only be given. But was the nation of Israel listening? Were they listening to God? Were they listening to the prophets like Isaiah or Joel or even John the Baptist? Would they listen if, if God even sent His own Son? Do you remember that biting parable that Jesus tells in Matthew 21 beginning at about the 33rd verse? He talks about a householder who planted a vineyard and and let it out to tenants and then went into another land. And remember his audience for this particular parable. He we're told by Matthew that uh, Jesus is speaking in the temple to the chief priests and the elders and the scribes, the Pharisees, those religious leaders of all of Israel. 
who have been asking Jesus following his cleansing of the temple, by what authority do you do these things? And that's when Jesus tells this particular parable. This man with a vineyard. And when it was time for the fruit to ripen, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his share of the fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned the third. And Jesus said the owner sent more servants and the same thing was done to those servants. And then the owner said, I know what, I'll send my son. They'll listen to him. They'll respect him. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Let's kill him. And then we'll get the inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Does that sound like anything familiar? Jesus is talking about His own passion right there in this particular parable to these chief priests and scribes and Pharisees and elders. You who work in the vineyard of My Father and who proclaim to be religious people will kill the Son rather than listen. After telling this story, Jesus asked those listening, when the owner of this vineyard comes, what do you think he's going to do? And they said to him, he'll put those people to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. And Jesus said to them, have you never read in the Scriptures the very stone which the builders rejected has become the head of the corner. This was the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a nation producing the fruits of it. Do you see how all of that is speaking to Israel? To Israel and their rejection of the good news of God's gospel through the gift of His own Son. And that's exactly what Paul is speaking to in Romans 9, 10, and 11, but especially here in this 10th chapter. And we see in their behavior the tragedy of the failure to listen. You know, we see that all the time. I could tongue-in-cheek say we preachers see the tragedy of the failure to listen every Sunday as you go to sleep. (laughs) But of course, I wouldn't say that. But no, we see it in our society every day because we preach and we preach and we preach to people don't drink and drive. And what do we see in the news? We see where people have chosen to drink and they've chosen to drive and they have an accident and they kill someone else or they kill themselves. We see it in the way in which we model for our children this safe behavior to always put your seatbelt on. We talk about it. We see public service announcements on the television. The State Highway Patrol has the Click It Ticket campaigns, and yet we read about someone almost every single day who's been in an accident and they were killed because they were ejected from the vehicle. 
They didn't have their seatbelts on. It's the tragedy of the failure to listen. And that tragedy is most poignantly seen in the history of Israel. Their failure cannot be blamed on an uncaring God. My goodness, He he reaches out to them over and over again. All day long He stands there with His hands stretched out to a disobedient, to an uncaring, to an unlistening people. This tragedy can't be blamed even on their own ignorance. They had the key to the gift of salvation. Paul's talked about in Romans before how they had so much. They have the patriarchs. They have the covenants. They have the Word of God. They have the promises. They have so much. The means of knowing what it was, but they failed to listen. They they failed to see. They failed to hear. You see, Paul's concerned in this text about people hearing. His people. Because Jesus was. Think about Matthew 13, where Jesus' disciples ask him, why do you speak to the people in parables? You remember Jesus' question? I mean, Jesus' answer on that occasion, He said, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. With them indeed is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which says, you shall indeed hear, but never understand, and you shall indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and their ears are heavy of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should perceive with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn for me to heal them. He's speaking about repentance there in that word turn. That's what repentance is. We turn toward God when we've been away from Him. In this passage before us, Paul, just like Jesus before him, uses Old Testament Scripture. In our passage alone, four different Old Testament quotations from Isaiah 52, Isaiah 53, Psalm 19, Deuteronomy 32. And and Paul uses these Old Testament quotations to make the point that the Jews, in fact, have heard the good news. They did, in fact, understand the good news, and they have rejected it. Of course, not all Jews. I mean, obviously, Paul's a Jew. Peter, James, John, we see the disciples of Jesus, they're Jews. They didn't reject the gospel. But by and large, the Jewish nation has rejected God's favor upon them in the gift of His own Son, the Messiah. And this is why Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. You remember as He comes to Jerusalem, we hear His mournful words, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, killing the prophets and stoning those who are sent to you. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood? And you would not. Behold, your house is forsaken and desolate. Notice that Jesus says there, how often in that little speech, how often would I have gathered you together? Those words suggest repeated efforts. 
by Jesus toward His people, but they rejected Him over and over again. As he quotes Isaiah here, Paul makes the point that those who proclaim the good news of the gospel are beautiful. Now obviously we can take that verse at face value, even on his darkest day, Philip can remember that he's beautiful. But Paul is also making the point, like Jesus, that God has indeed sent people again and again with the good news. The question is, and if you don't get anything else out of this sermon today, hear this question, what are we doing with the good news? Are we really listening? Are we really hearing? Are we, like Israel, prone to reject it? Prone to not listen? Prone to hear, maybe, and yet not allow it to make a difference in our lives and how we live each day? Or like the Gentiles to whom Paul refers, do we receive God's gift of good news by faith so that it not only transforms us, but that transformation takes an effect each day in how we live. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we're becoming more and more like Jesus. Think again on what Paul says here. So faith comes from hearing. And hearing through the Word of Christ You know, this text is many times used in missions conferences and and ordination services where young men are being ordained to the gospel ministry. And, And while Paul is not specifically calling on the church in these particular words to to send out missionaries or ordain pastors so that the gospel message can be proclaimed, he is clearly assuming that that sort of thing needs to be done. People can only believe in Jesus when they hear about Him. And they can hear about Him only when someone presents the good news through this Word of Christ. In and through talking about who Jesus is and what He's done for you and what He's done for me and what He's done for the whole world. I want you to think about this in just five years' time. That's the newest statistics I have. Five years' time from 2007 to 2012 in America, the percentage of Americans with no religious affiliation rose from just over 15% to 20% in a five-year period of time. We're told that one in three adults younger than 30, one in three have no religious affiliation whatsoever, a full third. And since 1990, the number of people calling themselves atheists or agnostics has more than tripled. There is so much spiritual need around us. And if faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ, then it's pretty clear what we need to do, isn't it? And we may think that we don't know how to go about that. But that's what this My Hope ministry, I'm going to call it a ministry, not a program, 
That's what this My Hope ministry is all about that you just heard about during the Sunday school hour. And I know some of you weren't here in attendance to hear that presentation, but later in the fall, we as a congregation are going to be participating in a ministry that's sponsored by the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association known as My Hope, where we bring the hope of Jesus Christ into the lives of people we know, people who are our friends, our family, our acquaintances, our co-workers, our neighbors who do not know the Lord Jesus as their Savior, where we're encouraged to pray for them. And that's uh, the importance of the brochure that Philip mentioned. Let me see that again. This little brochure, you need to get one of these if you don't have one yet. It has a list of ten blank spaces there where you can begin to fill in people that you want to pray for. And prayer is the most important part of this whole ministry. It's not so much how many, uh, how many homes we have of people in our congregation who invite people in so that they can hear the gospel message proclaimed, though that is important because over the last... Uh, 11 years, the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association has had this My Hope ministry in 57 different nations where 10 million commitments to Jesus Christ have come over that 11-year period of time. And on average, worldwide, for every home that's participating, two more people come to the Lord. And so let's just say that 15 homes in this congregation are open to our friends who we've been praying for for the last six months, praying, starting to pray now, praying all the way through November. Fifteen homes. On average, that means 30 people would come to the Lord. Thirty people would profess their faith in Christ. Thirty people, some of whom may be that person in your family who doesn't know Jesus. And because all of these people are praying for them, they come to the Lord because they attend something they've been invited to by you and there's somebody you know. You know, it's not like we're asking strangers to come into our homes, those of us who will host one of these My Hope events. Now, I'm not giving you a lot of information because it's your job to find out more about what you need to know and to get the get the brochure and read it. But this is so important because I believe God is doing something through the Billy Graham Association and I believe God's doing something in the life of this church through our revitalization process. You know, as a church, we are good at outreach. We're very good at outreach. But we're not as good at evangelism and this is a perfect ministry, the perfect tool for evangelism. And so I hope that you will commit to pray. Philip, when he went and got trained on all of this, there was some story that he heard about a lady who prayed for all this list of people that she had and 37 people on her list came to Jesus Christ. You know, what an impact that would be if this congregation commits 
to pray for these names that we put down on our own list. We may only have two or three names. Maybe we only know. You know, in my workplace, they're all Christians. So it's not like I can start marking down people I work with who don't belong to the Lord. But you see what I'm saying. We need to commit to pray and come November, however many of us open our homes, hopefully the Lord will bless us and will bless His kingdom as the power of His Holy Spirit speaks to people's hearts and causes them to see their need for Jesus Christ. We know that Scripture teaches that we're saved by faith, by the work of God's Holy Spirit, but Scripture also teaches you and me that we have responsibilities. We are responsible as God's people to pray and to share our faith with others. This Word of Christ that Paul's talking about right here in our text Jesus gave His great commission to all the church. You know, He just didn't give it to a few people to go and make disciples of all nations. He gives it to every Christian. I think your Bible probably still has Matthew 28 in it. Mine does too. It's for all of us, this great commission is. That's our responsibility. But the non-Christian is also responsible to hear the good news. And then as Paul told us in last week's passage, to confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised Him from the dead. And then as Joel said it, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then God Himself is also responsible to save those who come to Him in faith alone. In the baptism, we were talking about God's faithfulness. You know, God is is sovereign. He's in control, but He's also faithful. And that means if He said that everyone who calls on my name will be saved, they will be saved. And so He's responsible to carry out the promises that He's made. You know, in Revelation 3... We see Jesus say, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. What a wonderful picture of having that kind of fellowship with our Lord. And that's what so many people out here in this world today need. Paul tells us faith comes from hearing. And hearing comes through the Word of Christ. Let's you and I decide what we want to do with this Word of Christ for God's honor and glory. Amen. Amen.